Hello and welcome to Read All About It, the podcast where people talk about their favourite and not-so-favourite books. Join me, Paul Cuddihy, as I take each guest on the literary journey of their life, from their most cherished childhood read and a book they'd recommend to anyone, to the book they couldn't be paid to read again, and much more in between. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about the Read All About It podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest Read All About It podcast extra with me, Paul Cuddy and Chris Dolan coming to you through the wonders of Skype and this time around Chris and I have decided to talk about some of our favourite crime novels and Chris, I, I don't know about you but I found this a really difficult one to choose just five books to talk about because there are so many and so, so many very different types of crime novels and you know within that genre. Absolutely. I mean, what, what's a crime novel? I mean, you could almost say that virtually any novel ever written, there's probably some kind of crime at the heart of it. I mean, if it's just like a, you know, a domestic noir or whatever, I mean, you think of Dickens, you know? It's about greed and uh, injustice towards people and all sorts of things. So, I mean, well, you know, I had thought of, of choosing, but I thought it just made me a little too poncy. Uh, but I thought of choosing some like Dostoevsky Crime and Punishment, which is seen as big, high literary fiction, but it's about a murder. Mm, that's what it is. Can I just say I'm glad you didn't choose Crime and Punishment because uh, I, I it took me about five attempts to read it and uh, I, I found it a real struggle and then I got to the end of it and was kind of like underwhelmed. I'm not sure if I liked it. I don't like it. I was overwhelmed, underwhelmed. But one, I, mem- I don't remember much about reading it or the story of it or anything. I know you were scamming off and roughly what happened. I just remember it was the most depressing thing I'd ever read. <laughs> I just remember thinking... <laughs> Oh, and even now, it was about 20 years ago now, I still can remember that time of reading it and how depressing it was. Yeah, I know, <laughs> Inside I know. this bad guy's head, you're like, oh man, let me out of here. What we did again is we've just chosen five books, uh, or series of books, each in terms of this. But before we get on to talking about the, the, the five, and interestingly, we decided to set aside what is certainly, I suppose, sort of the pioneer of Tartan Noir, but one of the greatest crime trilogies I think you'll ever find, and that's William McIlvany's Laidlaw trilogy. Yeah, you hear it quite a lot, and I'm kind of, I promised I wouldn't mention Ian Rankin and Rebus, and here I am within two minutes of mentioning it. But, uh, I think people would be disappointed if you didn't, Chris. <laughs> people call Rebus quite often, or Rankin rather, uh, the, you know, the father of Tartan War, and you know, much of the things a great writer, he's no, <laughs> absolutely and utterly is uh, McIlvany. Not not just because he's one of the first. I mean, there's lots of other novels before. Again, what makes a crime novel? There's lots of novels. You go back in Scottish literature and say, well, I could be a crime novel. But it's one that wrote, you know, specifically as a as a police procedural, uh, Laidlaw being a, a DI detective inspector. So he's the first one I think to do that in Scotland, the first one to get a big success out of it. But he does a whole number of other things. He's the first one to really talk about injustice and inequality. He's the first one to really talk about Glasgow and Scotland as a character. So I think he does a whole number of things that then everybody does afterwards. Uh, so for me, McIlvany lays down the basis of, of Scottish crime noir. And also, I think, so the three books, obviously, it's Laidlaw, then the papers of Tony Veach and Strange Loyalties. And I think that the first line in the papers of Tony Veach, which I'm just going to read, is my favourite line of any novel. And it's simply, the first sentence is, it was Glasgow on a Friday night, the city of the stair. That is, he could have just put his pen down after that and just went, that's me. (laughs) I think that's just, that is perfect. Yes, it does all sorts of things. I, mean, I love, I love the characters. I love again. It's, it's got those classic things, isn't it? It's got you know the, the main character Laidlaw, who is like all of them from Sam Spade, and 
um, called Olga, the, the other ones, uh, Philip Marlowe, and all these people. You know, they're 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 either in the police, but they're they're disliked by the the, the system. So Milligan is as a Milligan, the 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 other uh, the guy does them by the book and the Laidlaw books, and he hates Laidlaw. Laidlaw hates us. There's all this stuff he does. But you're right, it's that dead short, perfect summing up of situations and cities. I think he's a genius at Michael Barney. I just love, it. and he's also very funny. There's one that I always love. But Laidlaw's walking along a, a road in Glasgow, you know, a working-class street in Glasgow. And, it's, and uh, basically what happens is two guys, like a saloon bar doors, and kind of, the doors open, and two guys drunk fall out onto the street. And, and uh, Michael Barney says, it was like the, the, the pub had burped. And it's just, it's just stuff like that. You go, that's genius. <laughs> so uh, he's, he's so clever, those wee little observations are fantastic. So uh, certainly if you haven't, if, if people haven't read the Laidlaw Trilogy, we would certainly recommend that. Um, we're going to start on the, the choices. I'll start with my first choice, actually. And it's a book called uh, Falling Angel by William Horsberg, which I, I think sometimes if you if you check it, it, it's described as a horror novel. People might remember a film a few years back called Angel Heart that was in the late 80s. Uh, Mickey Rourke and Lisa Bonet and Robert De Niro starred in it. Well, and... That's a great it's a brilliant film. Um, New Orleans and Voodoo, is that right? It's like in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. So basically, the, the, it's written in the style of a, a kind of one of his kind of 1950s hard-boiled detective style. In the book, it's the private investigator Harry Angel is employed by uh, a guy called a, a client called Lu- Louis Saifieri to try and trace a singer called Johnny Favourite who had been really popular before and during the Second World War, but then vanishes. Uh, after he gets injured during the war and, and Harry Angel has to try and locate him. I, I still think of it as a crime novel, although I think, as I say, it's been described as a horror novel. The, it's a real thriller. The film is a really good adaptation of the film, uh, of the book as well. But the actual book, I again, it's one of those ones where I'd seen the film, partly because obviously De Niro was in it, but also because Lisa Bonet was in it, who was, who was just absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. But then went to the book, and, and the book's actually really brilliantly written and I can see when you read the book you can see why somebody would be desperate to turn that into a film. Exactly, it sounds great I do love that movie and I love that era and that area so I think all of that sounds fantastic and you're right, this thing about you know you almost didn't choose it because you thought well, maybe it was more in the, in the horror genre but then neither of us for instance have chosen anybody, anything by uh, Stephen King because you know you think about something like Misery you know it's absolutely a crime novel so as we're saying, it's, it's problematic what you choose. So I think it did right. It's, it's, it's a broad area, um, and that sounds like a great book. Yeah, certainly a great movie. Uh, so it's one of these ones, Paul. You reckon that's both great book and great movie? Yeah, it's also I think for people who might have seen Mickey Rourke in more recent years, it was back when Mickey Rourke looked like Mickey Rourke, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was about. To be fair, it was about thirty odd years ago. And but the book is it's quite a faithful adaptation as well, and I would recommend it. It's definitely it's certainly one that I would. Again, as as people who've listened to these before know that I'm I'm just compiling a box, a Chris Dolan box of books to give. <laughs> I tell you, I hope this, this lockdown is going to have to last a long time because I've got a pile of books that you used to go through. So yeah, my, my shelves will be cleared by the end of it. <laughs> We're on to the first of your choices, and you know we spoke about classic Tartan Noir, William McIlvanny, but one of the I suppose a great work of, of literature, a great Scottish novel, Robert Louis Stevenson's Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Absolutely. I mean, again, you know, where does uh, obviously McIlvanny is the great grandfather or the the father of uh, Tarn Noir, but you could go back as far as Stevenson. Think of any Stevenson book. It's a crime at the centre of it, you know. I mean, uh, uh, Kidnap. Um, it's about a, 
a boy who's, who's cheated out of his, uh, his, his family inheritance. His uncle tries to kill him, you know, I mean, it's, it's crime. And it's about revenge, um, so it's a crime novel. And, and so uh, and amongst that is uh, Jekyll and Hyde, which again, it's a, it's a horror, but the last one you're talking about, is, is there a horror movie? And this whole idea of, you know, this, uh, this, this guy can take this substance that, that takes away all moral uh, concern and just makes this beast out of him. And it's so part of Scottish literary tradition, isn't it? This thing about the doppelganger, the two, there's a good bit of you and the bad bit of you, and they're constantly fighting all the time. Um, so it's dead Scottish, um, and it's kind of not a classic crime novel in the sense it's not it's not a police procedural in any sense, but it is an attempt to try and track down Hyde and stop him because he he starts off by hurting very badly a young girl and then killing uh, somebody later on. So you you still got to stop the killer. So it still is, I think, a kind of a crime novel. But it's, it's very different, and it's also very short. Never really known what a novella is, to be honest, but uh, it's, it's, it's quite a short book. Uh, and what Steve's managed to pack in there is normal. Because I think we've, I mean, most of the times that you and I have done any of these podcasts, going right back to when we did the read all about it, one when, when we spoke about kidnapped and, you know, Robert Louis Stevenson is such a, a famous name, but I, again, like quite a few you know, really, really good Scottish novelists, I think, is it fair to say he's maybe underappreciated in his own own country by a lot of people? Because you're sitting there, you know, with one of the, the great novelists of English language. I always think this. I always think that Robert Louis Stevenson should be uh, as, as amongst. I mean, other people thought he was too uh, at the time. Uh, it was seen to be internationally one of the greatest writers of all time. Um, and I think I don't know if I said this before or not, um, but people might not like it. But I think had he been born a hundred miles south. He'd be on every school curriculum, he'd be in every bookshop, he'd be talked about in Radio 4 and all over the place. But he's not. So he's never really been accepted as part of the great, the very least London canon, if not the British canon. He's seen as being specifically Scottish, completely unfairly. You know, an awful lot of his books, Treasure Island, say nothing to do with Scotland. A lot of his books have got nothing to do with Scotland. Jekyll and Hyde has said in London, it's nothing to do with Scotland. But for some reason, he's never been quite accepted by the Kind of the, into the canon of British literature in quite the same way, and it's a, it's, it's a shocking uh, state of affairs. It should not happen. He is an amazing writer, and he should be much better known. We'll continue to bang the drum for Robert Louis Stevenson, okay. and sometimes with my my uh, bookend songs, we will quite literally bang the drum. That's right. Yeah, of course, you've all those wonderful songs. Yeah, I mean, actually, Stevenson's brought us together in a whole number of ways. We, we both really like Stevenson's work. And then all those songs you've written, or the the, you, the settings you've, you've done for those wonderful Steams and poems, which I didn't know. A lot of those poems I'd never read before. Fantastic. For these podcasts, not one of the uh, the, the songs um, that you, you did for uh, Stevenson. Yeah, it's the, th- the theme tune for it. So, yeah. so we are part of the Robert Louis Stevenson fan club here. Absolutely. We're on to my second choice. And this is a book called True Confessions by John Gregory Dunn. And this book was actually recommended to me by James Elroy and when I say recommended to me <laughs> uh, <laughs> I went to see him he was uh, last year he was doing a reading at St Luke's in the Gallagate in Glasgow and uh, me and my daughter Rebecca went along to see him and he was brilliant he's a brilliant performer brilliant at reading from his work brilliant at telling some guy off who kept trying to film him in the audience which was brilliant but then when he was asked, I think during the, the Q&A with people in the audience, you know, some of his favourite crime books, and he recommended this book, True Confessions. Again, it's a book that people might remember. There was a film, I can't remember when it came out, it was Robert De Niro and Robert Duvall starred in it called True Confessions. And it's basically the story of their two brothers who grew up in this Irish Catholic uh, family. One is a lieutenant in the police, the homicide division, oh, and the other one yeah. is a, 
a Monsignor who is kind of involved in the politics and is quite ambitious within the Catholic Church. And what happens is there's a murder, and it's based on the famous uh, Black Dahlia murder case, the unsolved murder case just after the Second World War. And the novel comes out of that because it's a, a murder takes place and, you know, the church are involved, the, the Monsignor, and, and it, it's how the kind of dynamics between the two brothers, one's investigating the crime and the politics of the church. And it's interesting, James Elroy, he's very much interested, wrote a book, The Black Dahlia, but also his mother, uh, she was murdered, her, her, her murder was never solved, and you know, in parallels with the, the Black Dahlia. So that kind of all ties in. So in the back of him, I thought if he's recommending it, it must be good. Probably couldn't publish it now. There's some of the language is quite, in terms of the, the, the characters at the time, in terms of the, the bigotry and the, the, the racism within it, it's, some of it's quite shocking to our sensibilities, but a really, really brilliant uh, story. You know, James Elroy uh, gave a really good recommendation there. Just put that in the box, uh, will you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another one I've never read. Sounds great. I love Elroy, the idea of Black Dale, you know, that whole connection with him and his extraordinary life. I saw him read once as well, and I thought it was one of the most interesting things that changed how I read him. I've had this a couple of times I've seen writers read, and thought, oh, that's interesting, that, that's not how I I, I read uh, your book. So, for instance, uh, I've read a number of Elroy before I went to see him, and I thought, because he writes some really short sentences, and I always thought it was, uh, the rhythm of it was, uh, he walks into the room, he sees her dead, with a, there's a gun lying on the floor, he looks around, there's nobody else there. He takes a he takes a run out the door and looks to see outside. That's how I read it. I went to see him, and he read it as he stepped inside the room. She was lying dead. The gun was on the floor. Oh, it's slow. <laughs> it's supposed to read it slow. I loved him anyway, but I still really, really uh, enjoyed him after that because I could hear his voice. And I, I just he's just a, as you said, he's a wonderful performer. So yeah, if he recommended it, that's good enough for me. And. So that was, uh, should I should have turned that phone off, sort of that. Well, it, may, it may be James Elroy just saying thanks very much for talking about him. <laughs> 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 no, we, we were at this, we were at that event, and I don't know about you, whenever I go to, to any of these events, quite a lot of them, if it was live uh, concerts, it's, it used to be one of my bugbears of like people constantly getting their phones out to film things. I think you should live in the moment, enjoy the occasion. Now I just think, I just think I'm better than these people because I think I'm enjoying the actual event. But this, there was a guy who just kept getting his camera out and filming him. And it was obviously, it was in his eye lane. And it was great the way he just, the guy was probably about my age as well. He's early 50s. And he just completely wiped the floor with him. And the guy sheepishly put his phone away. And I thought, ah, it's good. I like that. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. He's a wacky guy, Elroy, isn't he? Strange life. No, no, he's extraordinary. So, but he's just such a big character. And he recommends it's bound to be good. Yeah, so that's True Confessions by John Gregory Dunn. And we're on to your next recommendation. It's the first, I suppose, in the, you know, there's a few of them here where we've chosen a series. Because quite often crime books, it's, you know, you establish a, a character. You've done it, you've, you've already written a couple of crime novels establishing a new character. And it's and, and hopefully part of a, a long-running series. But the, the one you've chosen is George Simonon, and it's the Maigret series. I love these. They're, I mean, it's just extraordinary. The whole novel I like about these. When they're dead short, a longest train journey, and you can read an entire Megre novel. Megre, Jules Megre, or Jules Megre is his uh, cop. Uh, so Stephen Ong was writing from uh, Megre novels. He's writing from the 1920s, I think. Uh, his first uh, Megre novel was in the 1930s, in the very early 1930s, and his last one's in the 1970s. So I mean, he was writing for 40 years. Um, all these uh, these short uh, but incredibly clever little books, and uh, what what it shares with Laidlaw and a number of other people we're going to talk about, I think, is Paris is is a character. I, I love the evocation of Paris. 
And although Maigre, uh, sorry, Simenon himself is just writing about his own city, so if it's not exotic, he's writing about his own city. Um, and, and also about the dark side of his own city. You know, crime novels is all about gangsters and murders and shady things happening up uh, dark lanes and stuff like that. But it still comes across as incredibly exotic. I love reading them because there's this, there's this kind of French, well, it's, it is just a kind of an exoticism. And there's also that kind of, you know, uh, Maigret himself is wonderfully kind of, he never gets very excited about anything. You know, he's so French, there's a bit kind of, poof, about a bit kind of, you know, shrugging the shoulders in that very uh, French way, which I just love. The other thing I really like about the Maigret novels, and it's not something that other people could have, I think, maybe noticed very much, but because that's, I used to write Taggart's, and one thing I loved about Tiger was, it's not really just about Tiger or whoever the, the main detective inspector at the time was, it was about that team of four. And the Maigret novels do that too. Um, in fact, Maigret calls his staff his faithful four. I can't remember the names now, but they're, they're a little team. So I love that, that Maigret's always at the centre of it, but I love this team of people around about him. So it's just got a whole number of things. And I think the fact that you can do it in you know quarter of the time that most crime books are. Um, I just love these, these short bursts of, kind of phenomenal French colour and uh, brilliant plotting uh, and these great characters. So it's brilliant. Because I have to say, I haven't I haven't read any of the Maigret series. I always remember Jim Craig, who's, who's one of the, the Celtic Lisbon Lions, when I used to work alongside Jim, and he was a big fan of, of George Simon and in the Maigret series. I always remember him talking about them. So it's, uh, it's, it's not something that I've ever actually read myself yet. Well, I must put a recommendation from James Elroy or something, a recommendation from a Lisbon lion, now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Absolutely. So I'll put that in your box, okay? And by the way, there's something like 75 of them. Seriously, he wrote 75 of these things. And they're all fantastic. That's the thing. There's not one, at least I'm pretty sure I haven't read it in the length of 75. I've got, I've got a guess and see I've read, read maybe the 30 of them over the years. I can never remember that. So they're always really, and if there's one or two that stick out, it'd be nothing fantastic. So yeah, so I need a big box. 75 novels come your way. There's a lot of Excellent. When I mentioned there, just you know, just the fact it's a quite often crime novels. It's it's a series, and you know, it's a, the kind of main. De- it's a detective. It's a private investigator. It's, it could be a priest. It's a it's a lawyer. And I just touched on the fact that you've written a couple of crime novels in the first two in a series with a. It's a procurator fiscal, which is kind of prosecution lawyers in Scotland. Maddie Shannon set in Glasgow, and I suppose that's you kind of venture down that road of, of crime novels and, and hopefully like a long series of books. It'd be great when I find the time and everything else. So thanks for mentioning them. Yeah, I, I do. I love the idea of a series. And I think I see some of the, you know, the, the, there's the odd great single one-off crime novel. But when you think of one thing, when you think of noir, or we think of uh, these, you know, what, when, what we think about when we talk about crime fiction, we do mean series generally uh, speaking of their series. And yeah, I think it's, it's about building up. So it's like, you know, late law or anything, you build up a picture of Glasgow or Edinburgh or whatever. And it is, and my, my, my Dijana novels do all those things. It's about a city in a particular part of the city. And I can remember Maddie being half Irish, half Italian, which for me is such a Glaswegian thing, um, and the kinds of murders that take place. So yeah, I love all that. And yeah, if, if, uh, I'm hoping that the third one's on the way, but it's taken a hell of a long time. Excellent. Well, I look forward to it. I've read the first two anyway, so I, I'm I'm hooked on the series. But certainly, I think people who have read them will be hoping that there's there's more to come. We're on to the fifth book. It's another series. It's a, it's a series that I've chosen, and it's a series of books by a writer called Dana Stabenow. And the books are the Kate Shugak series. And these books, there's there's 21 of them in the series so far. They're set in Alaska. Kate Shugak 
who is the, the main character, she is a private investigator and basically investigates various crimes and what have you in Alaska. And I, I have no idea, you know, sometimes you kind of you stumble upon a book. I can't, even, I can't even remember why I started reading the first of them. I've read about five or six of them now, but they're so brilliantly written. She's a great character, you know, really strong female character. She's got this big husky as a kind of her sidekick, as it were. And again, you were mentioning a couple of those, uh, you know, we talked about Laidlaw as Glasgow being almost a character. We talked about Paris with Megri and Alaska and the Alaskan scenery and that the whole landscape is very much central to those books. And they're really, really captivating crime novels. And as I say, I've read about half a dozen of them now and they, they really are. They've won various, various times, won various crime book awards. So really, really good series. Sounds fantastic. Sounds great. And yes, all those things that uh, does tick all those boxes, doesn't it? I must say, these are gravy podcasts, Paul, because you're, you're forever bringing up uh, people I've never read. I have heard of her, though, and I do know these Alaskan novels and other people really like them as well. Um, but yeah, that's not for the box, because it sounds to me like it does. it's all those things that I really like. And I, and I do like the ideas now, 21 of them. It sounds great. So you build up this, this entire kind of image of Alaska and her Alaska. So it, it sounds amazing. I'm guessing for publishers, particularly, you know, crime fiction is such a popular genre and there are so many crime books out there, but I'm sure publishers are always looking for, you know, as you say, maybe the next rebus that people really connect to or, or other, you know, characters like that. And then the writer is able to have a good run at them, they've established an audience, but the audience then want to know they're with the character and then they want to know what happens in the next book and the next book. And I suppose from a writer's point of view, that's, that's great as well. It is, because there's also kind of an element of soap opera, isn't it? So you're getting a, a number of things happening here. So you've got each crime being re- resolved, presumably. Well, not all of them do something, there'll be one resolved. But generally speaking, they're resolved um, in one way or another. But you're also getting the character as the character advances through life. So, you know, they, they pick up experiences along the way. For instance, a writer I know that both of us like, but we haven't got in here, is uh, James Lee Burke, Robbie yeah. Show. So I love the Robbie Show books. I love the kind of build of the whole character, you know, so... You know, his, his first wife was murdered and it was because of it was his fault and then he has to live with this for the rest of his life. Same as Rebus, his, Rebus's daughter is disabled because uh, she was caught in the crossfire, essentially, uh, and that was Rebus's fault. So these things, you know, kind of, the characters become more and more complex as they go along, like, like all of us do, life experiences mark us. And so you get, and that's kind of a soap opera thing, isn't it? Kind of just, you know, watching a character grow older and, and all the various things that happen in their personal lives as well as their professional lives. Well, you're listening to a special Read All About It podcast extra episode with me, Paul Cuddyhay, and Chris Dolan. We're chatting about some of our favourite crime fiction. And we're on to your next choice, Chris, and that is the Carvalho, is it Pepe Carvalho series? That's him, yeah. Again, it's very similar to what we've just been talking about. You know, instead of Alaska, or Stephen Holmes' Paris, or Laidlaw's Glasgow, or Rebus's uh, Edinburgh, this is uh, Barcelona and Montalban, not Montalbano, interestingly, the Italian fictional cop. Uh, this, this is all around the Spanish Catalan writer. Montalban is the writer of uh, his cop and his cop is Carvalho. It's basically Barcelona's tiger, Barcelona's label of Barcelona's rubbish show. And, he's, and again, it ticks all those same boxes, just was saying before. Barcelona, absolutely in itself, is a character. In a new way, because there's a couple of things that I love that Montalban does. First of all, he's very, very political. Unlike a lot of our novels, they tend to shy away from being overly political. Rebus, 
I've always noticed uh, that ranking keeps them away from politics. It's very hard to tell what Reader thinks of anything like, you know, at the time of the, the, the Scottish referendum, probably he was a no, um, but was never particularly explicit. Montalban's exactly the opposite. Montalban is, uh, is very, very political and his character, Pepe Carvalho, is absolutely political. He was a member of the Communist Party, he's left it and he kind of hates the Communist Party, but he's still very much on the left. He's just an interesting political character. One of his best books is called uh, Murder in the, in the Central Committee. So he uses his knowledge. Uh, I don't know enough about Montalban, I suspect that he was actually a member of the Communist Party at one point. So he knows how the party works. He also loves football. Uh, one of his best books, and one of my favourite books actually, is The Case of the Striker Killed at Dusk. Brilliant title. It's great, isn't it? It's about a Barcelona a striker who's killed at dusk. So he talks very much about the reality of the city. And it's one of the things you mentioned, my, my, my Maddie Shannon, I've, I've stolen something or borrowed or whatever, been inspired by uh, Montauban, because he does things that I find really interesting. His Barcelona is absolutely not the real. Everything is real. So all the bars and all the restaurants, and Carvalho is a big foodie. Carvalho loves his food. So he goes into, he meets people, and he's investigating, he meets people in bars and restaurants, and he reviews that bar or restaurant. And there was a time when he was writing, things have changed a bit now, since he's, I think, Montalban died about 10 years ago, in the last Carvalho novel, probably 15 years ago or something. But um, he used to be able to go around Barcelona, uh, and use his novels as a guide to the best restaurants, and which was never to go in. So if he hated a lunch somewhere, Montalban, you put it in the book and have Carvalho go in there and he'd slag off that restaurant completely. <laughs> a lot of side, and they're real places, so everything is real in his books. And, and also he goes home at night time, and you've always, you've always got a thing for your cop, haven't you? The other thing that, that Carvalho does, he goes home at night and he cooks his own food, and there are recipe books by Carvalho. So Montalban has Carvalho doing recipe books uh, because he's, he's into his food so much. So I just love those ideas. I like the idea of some from my Maddie Shannon books that try and make everything actually real. The cafes are real, the pubs are real, the places she meets people are real. And um, so absolutely everything is, is as it was at the time when I'm reading. So I love that idea in, in Montalban. I think people like that actually when they're when they're reading it, if they can identify with landmarks and places that they know. Exactly. And even as a city you might never go to, I love the fact that, you know, I mean Barcelona is a city I do know and I have read Montalban when I've been in Barcelona and I have taken those books around. But, you know, uh, there's other people, you know, I've never been to New Orleans, I've never been to all sorts of places, but I love the fact they're still really depicting those places in a real way, so you don't even have to be from there to appreciate it. Before I go into my next choice, I'd actually, I was on Twitter and I just was saying how we were going to be doing this recording, so a couple of people got back in touch with uh, some book suggestions. Uh, Martin Gregg, who's a previous guest on the podcast, you know him, he's uh, suggested a book called The Ghost of Helen Addison by Charles E. McGarry, which I've read. I think there's two books in the series. It's a, a really good book. Both Scottish books, actually. And the other recommendation came from a guy called Stephen Keady, who's from Manchester, but he's going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks. And it's a book by Malcolm Mackay called The Necessary Death of Lewis Winter, which is based in Glasgow. But I, he, he was telling me about it, but I'd never, I'd never actually heard of that. I haven't heard that one. I heard the first one. I haven't heard of that one either. But then there is so much now. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it's a great thing. I think there's, there's a whole number now of really, really good Scottish writers. And it's actually quite nice to hear of books that other people recommend that you haven't even heard of yet. It's like, fantastic. The next books that I've chosen, and it's actually the Jack Reacher series by Lee Child. And again, it was somebody in work who had recommended them to me. I can't remember when, a few years back. And it was one of those ones where we started talking about books. And I think it was about half an hour later, he'd stopped talking about how great Jack Reacher novels were. And I thought, 
I should maybe read one of these then, because if somebody is so evangelical about a book, then there's something in it. And I read, I think, Killing Floor is the first in the series, and... I just thought it was brilliant. I think the as a brilliant series, it's a it's one of those characters. I think as a writer, people must just dream of creating someone like that. You know, somebody who's basically off the grid. He's a former military policeman. He's just you know there's there's no record of him anywhere in terms of bank accounts or mobile phones or anything. He just drifts across America and gets involved in all sorts of different activities and crimes. And they are just really really brilliantly written. And uh, it's interesting that. He's actually Lee Child, I think it's English, and I think the first book that he, I think that first book that he wrote was on the back of, I think he'd lost his job, he worked on TV with uh, Granada, I think it was, and it'd been made redundant, and wrote that book while he was, he was out of work, and, you know, suddenly becomes this worldwide phenomenon, actually to the point now where he's kind of taking a, a back seat from the, the franchise, as it were, and his brother stepping up to the plate and going to take over writing the novels. I've heard some of that, I've I'm only read one. Which I, which I liked, but funny enough, I didn't, I didn't, it's, it's not that I decided not to, you know, I've just never gone back and read another one, um, and I, I probably will do it at some point. I can't wait for them I read now, uh, one of the early ones. So, I, I, yeah, I, I didn't quite get the bug, you know, some of these ones you get me go, yeah, I'm in, you know, I'm in for the whole series now, I love all this. And for some reason, that one didn't quite do it for me. But some, some just told you I was doing, you know, uh, and... And that hasn't yet, so I must try and alone at some point. I mean, there are other writers. I don't particularly want to go involved at home. Like, there's lots of writers, actually, at the series. I've never got into it. I've tried to, and I just thought, God, I don't like that. There's a few Scottish ones, um, but just, it just didn't quite speak to me. So, yeah, Reacher sounds extraordinary. I, the, 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 I heard a thing about uh, about Lee Childs uh, recently. He's been interviewed somewhere, and he says that any given time, he's got, I think I'm right in saying, maybe you told me this, Paul, he's got up to 10 novels on the go at any given point. Right. Sure, I've heard. I'm pretty sure of Lee Childs. I thought that's unbelievable. I mean, that's that is absolutely you know factory line. But apart from being able to keep ten different plots in your head, that's that's, that's supreme intelligence. I can hardly keep one. But you know, you're right. I mean, and the the, the success of those novels is just unbelievable. Uh, yeah, people just love them, don't they? And interesting, the last podcast we did when we were talking about book adaptations and there's been a couple of the novels have been adapted into films. And in the books, Jack Reacher is this former American military policeman, six foot five, built on the south side of a house, you know, really big, tall, rugged, menacing guy. But then they cast Tom Cruise as Jack Reacher, obviously for box office reasons. So I think there was a bit of a furore at the time. I actually like the films and I think, you know, I think when you accept the fact that you can't, because everybody has a different image in their head of who would play the character and what they look like. And even though most people wouldn't, would say, because Tom Cruise isn't the tallest, but actually, I think in the films, I think he's, he's absolutely fine in them. I think so. I think, honestly, what, what works in a, nothing I've talking about adaptation before, and we talked about casting. And yeah, what works in a book doesn't necessarily mean that, say, it's going to work on the, on the screen. Uh, get the right, the right actor. And if it works, it works. You know, we spoke about adaptations in the last podcast. We, we talked about this book then, and you had mentioned at the time it was the toughest adaptation you'd made for radio, but now we're going to talk about this book as a crime novel, and that is The Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco. Yeah, I mean, just briefly, we, we, we talked about it last time round, so, uh, but we didn't really go into you know, the book itself uh, and the plot of it or anything. But I, you know, again, it's, you know, what's a crime novel? And it's, it's clearly is. It's a series of murders which Brother Williams got to try and solve. So it's got all the right elements. It's got all sorts of other stuff as well, but the meaning of flowers and the meaning of herbs and all that stuff, which is all wonderful and colours and all these things. I mean, it's just an incredibly beautiful book. But at the heart of it, there is a detective who's a monk trying to find out who's killing everybody who's another monk. 
And I think it's great. It's, it's got all those elements, you know, it's set in basically an old castle, in case of monastery, there's a roadhouse at the scent. It's almost like modern fantasy, isn't it? There's, there's a castle, a creaky old castle in the ancient days. And at the centre of the, the, the castle, there is a secret room which has an amazingly important secret, like the Da Vinci Code, something that's really important to all the world to know or to be kept hidden. There's a kind of an Antichrist figure, uh, the, the idea of the Antichrist coming around. So uh, all that stuff is kind of modern fantasies. It's up there with Game of Thrones and uh, Lord of the Rings and all that stuff. But at the centre, hanging all the way through, there's one crime and Brother William trying to solve this one crime. And I love the crime, but the crime is uh, maybe I shouldn't give it away, actually, because uh, I would love people to read this book. Although I think I think it's a fantastic crime. And what it is, the bad monks are trying to cover up, is just phenomenal. Um, so it's one of the most satisfying books I've ever read. I remember I was at college at the time, and it was, so you're probably talking about sort of late 80s, and a friend of mine that was at college with, he recommended it. And I read it, and I remember buying the book, and I just loved, first of all, the, the cover at the time was be- you know beautifully designed. But it's one of those books, and I've said this before, that I, I feel you know sometimes you have to persevere with a book. And I think it's almost like you actually hit page 100, and then you just don't stop. You just have to kind of go through these early stages of the book, and then after that, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal as a crime novel. It's phenomenal in terms of the history of it, the kind of the religious history, the political history. And it's a book I've read three or four times, and I, again, it's one of those books when I read and I, I, I'm in awe of Umberto Eco's intelligence and his vocabulary and his knowledge and everything about it. But I think he's written a, a brilliant, brilliant novel. I just say there's all that stuff in it. And, and some people put off it because it's big. I think you're right, it does take a bit of a to get into it. But you have read it a couple of times and you might actually now really enjoy those those early chapters because you know the whole thing's going to come apart, come away uh, very soon and that it's quite interesting. But yeah, first time around, I had exactly the same experience, thinking, oh, God, this is a long reading, I'm not sure I'm going to get through it all. But I think people should be put off it, because at the centre, it is an old-fashioned who done it. It really is. It's a, it's a, it's a police procedural. It just happens to be set in this particular setting in a monastery in the, what century is it, Paul? I can't remember, in the 15th century. Maybe. So yeah, I think it'd be for, for the lockdown time. What, what a book to read. Great book, and there's so much else. A great crime in the centre of it. Brilliantly told, brilliantly solved. Uh, a great ending. Uh, and along the way, all sorts of just wee sweeties, just lots of wee sweeties all the way, just new things and lovely ideas. Totally agree with you on that. I'm on to the last of my choices. And this is a, a novel called Mystic River by Dennis, I'm not sure if it's Lehan or Lehan, I'm not sure how you pronounce his surname. It was later turned into a film. This is a book I don't think I'll ever read again, actually. And for this reason is that I have very rarely read a book where the, the opening part of it has chilled me, unnerved me, unsettled me and left me feeling slightly scared when I read this and it's it's an extraordinary start to, to a book and basically it, it revolves around that there's three boys who are growing up as friends in Boston and they're out playing and while well, they're kind of messing about in the neighbourhood street, one of them's abducted, he manages to escape and returns days later completely obviously shattered by the experience but then the novel moves forward 25 years and that's when it takes up but that first section it's so understated. The horror of what is, is 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 happening that you're reading is there without him having to explain it. And it is just the most chilling start of a book. I've, I've never been able to bring myself to read it again. I, it was an amazing book, but it just, I think I'd almost have to gear myself up to, to get through that experience again. That's that's how, how powerful it was. 
Unbelievable. I mean, I think actually, like, that's such a hard thing to pull off in a book, isn't it? I'm not sure I've yeah. ever really been frightened uh, by a book. I mean, I've, you know, I've got, I've got the atmosphere, I've been into the story and can see it. But that thing a movie can do or television can do can actually literally frighten you. I think, oh, I'm just scared here. Um, I've never really experienced, apart from maybe Henry James's, is it Turn of the Screw or is it The Innocents? The book is one title and the, the film's another, and I always forget which one's which. I think the original novel is called The Turn of the Screw. That's one of the few books I remember actually reading. I think I'm going to move on a bit spooked here. And I think it's a dead hard thing to pull off. Um, so, yeah, it sounds like it's, it's brilliant. Well, do you know the only other book that I can think off the top of my head where I, I, I was certainly unnerved by it? And again, it was another recommendation from Martin Gregg, and it was The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner by James Hogg. And I remember there was bits of it were just slightly unsettling when I was reading that. But this was just the start of the Mystic River utterly chilled me and really, really, you know, I get goosebumps, but not in a good way. It was just like, it was quite, quite horrible, actually. But I, I, again, that gift and that skill as a writer to have done that to me as a reader, it's testament to, to his skill as a, as a storyteller. Uh, it's interesting you, you mentioned Hogg there and uh, Justify Sinner. I don't know if I did mention the last time we were talking about uh, adaptations. It's one of the great uh, waiting to be adapted books that no one's ever managed to pull off. If it has been done, it's been done, you know, done and forgotten about. I'm pretty sure no major adaptations ever has been done on radio, but uh, there's been no major proper film or television series yet. It's crying out for it. And I agree with you. I think it's one of the strangest, spookiest books I've ever read. An extraordinary book. And we talked about Jekyll and Hyde earlier, that idea of evil and, and the evil and goodness in, in, in every individual, uh, which of course is very much what Justify Sinners about as well. Um, so yeah, that is another book, actually. You're right. That's another book that made me feel about, whoa. <laughs> Yeah. We are on to the last of the ten books. It's another great Scottish crime writer, Denise Miner, and the book you've chosen is her book called The Long Drop. Yeah, because one of the, the, the things we haven't talked about yet is true crime. It's kind of come up in things we've mentioned before, but you know that's a whole kind of genre as well. You know, you take something that actually did happen and then you fictionalise it. And actually, Scotland's quite good in that. There's a great writer in Scotland, a crime writer called Douglas Kelton. And, and Douglas is kind of an expert in true crime. And there's a lot of, of Scottish books, a lot of books everywhere, uh, about true crime. But how far you push is the Truman Capote's book, uh, which got you. In Cold Blood. In Cold Blood, yeah, I think it, where he really does actually fictionalise far too much. So, yeah, that's just an interesting genre. I think this is, uh, I mean, I really like uh, Denise Mines' work, uh, a bit like the Paddy Meehan books and the, the Alex Morrow books, I like those series. I love Paddy, Paddy Meehan, I she write more of her. But this is different. This is a departure for, for Denise, and it's about Peter Manuel. Found nothing about it fantastic. It's just an incredibly well written book. Again, relatively short book, and it's just a real kind of intense read. I know it's wonderful. But it's got a very interesting idea at the centre of it. Now, I'm not an expert in the murder at all, but apparently one of Manuel's kind of contacts out in the world is the guy called William Watt, whose wife and child and some of those three people murdered in his house. It was reckoned that Manuel, who killed eight people uh, that we know of, probably killed them too. But when William Watt, who had been suspected of killing them himself, meets up with Manuel, in fact, they seem to have a great night. They go out on the, on the tiles together. Uh, now, nobody knows what happened. They just know that these two men went drinking together. And Denise Minor takes it from there and creates this extraordinary idea of these two really, really horrible men out on a night out and where all that leads to. I just completely loved it. It's one of those books that I, you know, I literally didn't put down. I think I read it as a sitting. And I'm saying books don't scare me. Actually, that book really horrified me. It's really scary and so close to home because of you know, big Glasgow murders. And Denise is a, I mean, she is a great writer. And a great, I think we spoke about it before, that in terms of, certainly in one of the podcasts, 
I know sometimes people are maybe shy away from going to book events and book readings, but you know, if if you get a chance to go and see Denise Miner at any sort of book event, she's she's a brilliant performer, a brilliant reader of her work as well. She absolutely is. I tell you, there's one other thing I found really interesting about this book, and I'm not trying to remember whether it's actually in the book or, or an interview with Denise or at the, the launch or the solo launch of the book. can't remember. I think it's in the book, actually. And that is that for most Scottish men, I'm, I'm dead on, by the way, childhood-wise, uh, because Emmanuel was killing in the mid-50s from 19... I was born in 1957, and that's exactly when he was killing. I think he finally goes to court in late 50s, early 60s. He's killing from the mid-50s to the, to the late 50s. And across Scotland, he, he has become, apparently, a kind of a real bogeyman figure. So it's the kind of figure that parents say to their children, if you don't go to sleep, uh, Peter Emanuel will get you. You know, So it became this thing, you know, this kind of really scary, terrible person that became part of, kind of Scottish folklore really, really quickly. Except this was new to me. He didn't for me. I virtually had never heard the name. But I mean, I knew him. Because somebody had said, yeah, was he not a murderer at some point? Knew very, very little about Peter Emanuel. Knew lots about Bible John. I really didn't know about Peter Emanuel. And as Denise points out, that Peter Emanuel came from a Catholic family. And the shame in the West Coast Catholic community was such that it was never mentioned. And that's right. certainly true of my background. Virtually, my parents never mentioned it. And I think they would have been very, very Catholics, Irish Catholics. I think they must have been horrified by the whole Peter Emanuel story. And it was just never mentioned in my house. And I'm sure, I'm sure as Denise points out, I think in the, in the book, said this is a you know, bogey figure, but not amongst West Coast Catholics because the shame is too enormous. And I think that must be it. That explains why I really don't know the manual or not know the Bible, John. Um, there's some kind of terrible thing about it. It's one of our words and it should never have happened. So, but fantastic, but beautifully, beautifully written. It's to die for. The writing in it is to die for. I mean, she's a great writer and she'll continue to write great things, but I'm, I'm, I suspect, certainly to, to date, I think that's her best book. Well, that is The, the Long Drop by Denise Miner. That's us Sadly, again, come to the end of, of this podcast and our, our book recommendations, Chris. Fantastic. I'm so enjoying them all. It's great. As you say, if the crime one, that was tough because we could talk about so many different novels and so many different series. But that, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Uh, and, and a whole lot more books coming my way. So I'm happy. <laughs> That's why you're enjoying them, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, listen, it's been good talking to you again, Chris. No doubt we shall uh, meet up soon via Skype for the, the next podcast extra. That'll be brilliant. Looking forward to it. Fantastic. These are fun. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast, and I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at ReadAllAbout20, on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast, or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at paulcuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddihy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading.